0: Last time on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. And we are still quarantined. Climax of
1: Taika's Star Wars Can't Be the Immigrant Song. (laughs) Little freaking spider baby. They want Godzilla to start T-posing or dabbing in Godzilla vs. King Kong. Nothing stops that. I think Brie Larson was in the first King Kong movie. She might be back.
0: No, that was set in the Vietnam War. (laughs) Oh. kicking butt, we got our first one-star review. Woo! Like, was it the absence? Did I stop shipping
1: kaijus? Is that the problem? Because I can do more of that. Welcome back to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a deep dive into Toho's rich history of monster films and discovering what lies beneath the surface. Whether you're a hardcore or casual fan, or somewhere in between, if you've ever thought there must be something more to these movies than people in rubber suits, then this is the show for you. My name's Chris Wormskirsch, and I'm joined today, as always, by the ever incandescent, effervescent David. After a little bit of being gone,
0: so <laughs> you had to one up me on that. That's great. I always do. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, thank you guys seriously for for sticking with us. Um, you know, we were gone for a little bit. We did our last episode, which was just a hodgepodge of everything and anything in between. Um had some good feedback on that, though. That was uh, very encouraging. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to actually get back into these movies. Hopefully we don't botch this one too badly. Um, but just a quick thing, uh, a few things before we actually get into the film itself. Um, so by the time this episode comes out, we're going to have a rehaul on our website and the, the, the podcast design itself. So uh, Daniel... Um, his his Twitter handle is revised fiasco. He's designed a new logo and stuff like that for us, which has been awesome. Um, but we're actually doing new like episode icons and stuff as well. Um, so that should be live by the time this goes up. Uh, very clean, uh, very aesthetically pleasing. So we're excited about that. I'm very thankful for the work that he's done for us. Um, highly recommend if you need any design work to hit him up because everyone is needing a little bit of financial assistance I feel like at this point in time um I thought
1: you're about to say everyone needs new logos and you're about to just trash everyone at once
0: well not too, no <laughs> um but uh yeah also so with this pandemic and being up all night feeding Harlow thing I've uh had a lot more time to listen to podcasts so I'm fully caught up with the Monsters vs. Men podcast um so now when they're episode about uh, the final movie and the anime trilogy comes out Um, I'll actually be able to listen to that live so I'm excited about that Uh, but I was listening to the uh, episode of Matongo that Giant Monster Messages did with um, the Monsters vs. Men's men's, Men guy actually uh, guys joined up on and Chris I don't know if you remember so we had talked about how the main character didn't eat any of the mushrooms, but he still found himself infected, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember that was kind of perplexing for us because we're like, well, how does that work? And they kind of had this theory of, you know, maybe spores and it's less about the eating, but just being present, which, you know, that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But it got me thinking and then they eventually said it. So it's not like I can't really claim this for myself because I can't prove that I thought of it before I got to that point in the episode. But just this idea of, you know, the westernization and the way that Japan was changing. And I think it's just kind of this this idea that even if you aren't actively partaking in it, there's no way that you're going to be able to remain unscathed, mm-hmm. right? So you can try to be removed. You can try to make all the right choices. But ultimately, your life will still be, you know, we're a product of our environment, right? right. For better or for worse. Um, so I just, I think it's cool, you know, just... Obviously I really enjoyed that episode but this is just something where going back and revisiting these movies and listening to other podcasts I like how these conversations are continuing it's not like we can really ever exhaust the deep well that is uh kaiju films. Sure.
1: And I think one of the things that I like well thinking about that idea is what happens sometimes when we let like in universe rules kind of override our read of the films so thinking about um thinking about we were so stuck on he didn't eat anything why would he transform but the metaphor of the movie might have been more pressing than mm-hmm. the rules set up yeah so sometimes we you can't let yourself get so constrained by it that breaks the rules to miss the point of the movie so i, I appreciate
0: that read yeah yeah and i think you know with like in, in the star wars fandom you get really so focused on, well, what about this? You know, this happened here. And it's like you kind of miss the forest for the trees sometimes. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, just like I said, it was, uh, it was a good episode. I it, it feels bad being a podcaster, and I don't really have time for podcasts. Um, but a lot's changed, so it's been nice to kind of uh, have time to listen to to shows that, you know, I've, I've tried to promote on our page, but I really haven't had the time to listen. Mm-hmm. So that being said, um, today's episode is the one that should have been number 12, but I did not pay attention to the chronological order, Uh, so Frankenstein Conquers the World or Frankenstein uh, versus Baragon, but joining us today is Michael Hamilton, also known as the Kaiju Groupie. How are you doing, Michael?
2: I'm doing perfect, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure.
0: Awesome. So, got to get it. I, I got to ask. So, I know there's been, I'm trying to think of the right word here. How did you come up with that name?
2: Well, I can't take credit for that name, honestly. Um, I came, it started out as a Facebook group, as I've, as, as a lot of folks know me. And I came on as a moderator. And so, basically, I took the name with the permission of the admins in the group and I just kind of mm-hmm. built out this. I'm not going to say character or persona because honestly the social media, what you see is me. It's all me. What you see is what you get. Uh, But I kind of took that moniker of the Kaiju groupie and just tried to build out sort of a a network so that I could reach out to the community through that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I will say (laughs) when I first started talking to you and you invited me to the group, I was just like, as a musician myself, I was like, I know that's not, what you were implying here. Oh, no. But, but the implication, I'm just like, uh we have enough issues with the shipping and all that stuff in the fandom. So just the whoa, thought whoa, whoa, whoa. of a kaiju groupie, I'm like, uh-huh. well, we have do done mean, problems with shipping.
2: Chris, okay, we're not going there today um we have done our best to distance ourselves as far away from the shipping aspect of this fandom as humanly possible so i can see why you would think that but yeah you're the first person though that's ever brought that up so um, i guess it's not as a concern as maybe some people would think i don't know
0: yeah i i will say i've seen it was months ago i saw a couple sub tweets about it i think it was a kaiju uh crap posting said something about it. i was like all right whatever um no and you know to even get into shipping because i had posted a meme the other day and had to delete it because people got the wrong idea about it you know like i've never had an issue with the shipping itself it's just once you get into like the whole like rule 34 stuff i'm like i really don't want to see kaiju porn on my timeline Right I've had some I dangerous mean,
1: Google searches. that's for sure, I yeah, and you, you know
0: it's you know it's it's that like I've seen like sonic stuff, and I'm like, okay, so I'm just saying like that's yeah, it's it's a very deep rabbit hole that uh, i I refuse to go down to, um, and I apologize for even bringing it up. So Michael, tell us a little bit about your personal life. Um, <laughs> what kind of what you do like what what would you say you contribute to the fandom because? you know, obviously you're, you're trying to make a difference. So.
2: You know, I honestly, I feel like at the end of the day, I feel like I don't even really contribute that much to the fandom. I'm just a fan who's enthusiastic about this genre of films. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about it uh, earlier today and this fandom has done more for me than I feel like I've done for it.
0: Honestly. I mean, I was just trying to be nice. So. Okay, well, that's true. I appreciate true. that.
2: Yeah. But, uh, I guess what I personally have done is I've tried to be as positive as, as I possibly can and as enthusiastic about this as I possibly can. Uh, and along the way, maybe give a little bit of uh, education. I don't want to sound arrogant. I just don't, I don't want to sound arrogant to, to say that I'm educating fans because there's mm-hmm. fans out there that know way more than I do. Um, but what little bit of knowledge that I've acquired about this genre of film over the years, I want to share that with as many people as I can, especially new fans, uh, people that may have come in in 2014 or later that don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know the rich history of Kaiju and tokusatsu and and all these things. And, um, yeah, I mean, this fandom has given me so much, so I want to give it, I want to give back to it as, as much as I possibly can, you know, but I'm only human. So, uh, I have made some mistakes along the way.
0: I think the difference you're saying, though, is there's a difference between wanting to teach and educate mm-hmm. and then wanting to pontificate. Right. Right. So, I mean, every fandom you have that. You have the people who are just... I mean, even if they say they're not obsessed with the lore, because um, that's kind of been in conversation lately, right, is, well, are you even a Godzilla fan if you only care about the lore and all that? And I've actually got a separate video I'm planning on getting into that discussion um but like there's a difference between just spouting out information but then also you know kind of taking that time to teach and to educate and to mm-hmm. guide and that i i do see that with you whether mostly in the facebook group because i know you're not super active on twitter mm-hmm. um but you know you do actually care about people you know not only learning, but learning at their pace right you know we we have these expectations. We put on new fans of, well, if I've been watching for eight years and they just got into it, like, why are you not partaking in it the same way that I am? And I'm like, dude, like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, but it's we. I see the same thing in Christianity too, right? You know, you see right. people who are new to the faith and you have people who have been, you know, Christian for however long and they're like, well, you don't understand the Trinity. And I'm like, well, I mean... It took hundreds of years to formulate that idea, but sure, you know, be, be a dick about it. That's fine. <laughs> right.
2: And you're right. It Like everyone comes in at different levels and I've, I like to think that I, I like to give people a good foundation, even no matter where they come in at. I like to give people a good foundation of if the, let's take it, for example, if someone asked me, what's the best film to introduce Godzilla or someone to Godzilla, and so All I Monsters will, Attack. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that one. Anyway.
1: Um, King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh,
2: I was going to say Destroy All Monsters, since I know you guys love that one. Um, we haven't watched it yet. I know, but you. I know you love that film. I know I, you're I, going to love that
0: I film. don't. Does that have many yet? Does I don't mean? hate it. I don't hate it. But I'm not like over the moon about it either. But we'll get there.
2: Yeah. You guys will eventually get there, but you know, I just like interacting with all these new fans, especially, um, stuff like Mm -hmm. the people that come in through legendary. And I know a lot of folks like to crap all over people that started with legendary, but I mean, it all, you got to come in somewhere. We all can't start with Gojira and be enthusiastic about this fandom, because honestly, if you started with Gojira and still want to know more about this genre of film, you are something special because I know a lot of folks that have watched that and have just been really turned off by this entire uh, Mm -hmm. genre of film and for good reason. But yeah, I just like interacting with folks on their level and I like having conversations with new fans who don't, you know, have not been around for, who have not been involved in this for 18 years. And then I, uh, and I like interacting with folks that have been around for the whole 65 years that, because Mm -hmm. you can gain knowledge from both sides. I feel like.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So what about like personal life though? Obviously you're, you're welcome to divulge as much or little as possible, but you know, I would like to say everyone that we've had on the show so far, you know, their whole identity isn't wrapped up in this. Right. And that's something we've even tried to encourage people to think about is like, yeah, these movies are fun. Like there's a lot to, whether you enjoy them for the aesthetics, the explosions or the, the messages, but like, you know, We've got to be more than just our passions, right? So who are you outside of your, uh, your, your, your groupy lifestyle?
2: Not to sound super cheesy, I am a husband. I am a brother. I am a son. But most importantly to me, I am a Christian. I am a person of faith. I, be- I am a strong believer in the teachings of Jesus. And I know you guys can appreciate that. And there's, I've met a lot of folks in this community that I didn't even know uh, shared the same faith as, as we do. Uh, and it's really interesting to have those conversations with folks. But other than that, I'm an art director for a company out of St. Louis, Missouri, called Art ArtSpeed Creative. We uh, do web design and graphic design for churches, nonprofits, everyone around the country. Um, you know, I'm pretty simple. I'm a, not mentally simple. Don't go, don't, don't smirk, Chris. I'm, I'm pretty simple <laughs> in the me. fact that it doesn't take a whole lot to uh, make me happy. And I, I'm fairly reserved. I'm more of an introvert. This whole podcasting and Kaiju community, like the involvement I've had in the Kaiju community has really forced me to step outside my comfort zone in a lot of ways, because it's forcing me to talk to folks that I normally would not talk to. And I've made some awesome friends that way. Like I, I, David, you're my mm-hmm. friend, Chris, hopefully you'll be my friend someday. I don't know. <laughs> uh, still out. Nathan, of course, and some, and Travis and some others. I mean, it's just an awesome community to be a part of. But like you said, David, it's not my entire identity. Of course, like I said, my identity is, of course, first and foremost as a believer in Christ. And then, of course, my, as being a husband and a brother and and just a productive member of society, uh, that's really all there is to me. I'm, like I said, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty average fellow. And uh, to get a little bit personal about, just to bring it back to the conversation. Um, I didn't get started in this fandom, like really heavily involved into the community side of the fandom until like 2018. And it really came after, um, see in 2018, when I lost my mom and, you know, you go through the whole process of grieving, you go to the house and you look through old pictures and you go through stuff, uh, that you haven't seen in years. And so I found all of my old Collection of VHSs and DVDs, and I started diving a little bit deeper. Um, and for some, and for some reason, it just made me feel better. As cheesy as it sounds, it made me feel better to be kind of get sucked back into this community and sucked back into all the things that this uh, particular genre of film has to offer. Uh, and it just brings back some good memories for me. And it's just, it's been a healing process since there. Uh, I, I feel like you never get over the loss of a parent, especially. Um, but it's just been really helpful. And that kind of goes back to my first point of saying this fandom has done more for me than I think I, than I feel that I've done for it.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, I was Chris, I was going to make a comment. I was like, man, there's going to be some really good stuff to mine out of here. You know what I'm talking about, but then we mm-hmm. get in the super serious conversation. I'm like, Oh, okay. Definitely not going to take anything from that. Okay. So, I, I do appreciate that, Michael, because, um, you know, something you said there before we get into the film, because obviously I feel like we could spend a lot of time here, is that that's kind of been my my humbling experience. So like when I first got into the Godzilla fandom, I unfortunately started on Reddit. And I mean, there's there's some really cool people on there. I've I've actually kind of I don't know if there's anyone I still interact with on Twitter and Instagram from there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there are. Um, so, like, there are some level-headed people on there. But, like, it's a, very, it's a very easy to lose sight of we are talking to people, right? We get lost in the avatars. We get lost in the Twitter handles, all that stuff. And we forget. So, like, with King of the Monsters, for example, I'll bring up my friend Faye. So that movie means a lot to her. And she has a story behind that. Mm-hmm. I think the movie's a hot mess. I do. It's fun. <laughs> but it's a hot mess. But like I had to take a step back and be like, you know what? Yes, I feel this way about the film. But like is my opinion worth really is my opinion worth potentially punching down and affecting someone else? So like, you know, you've got to find that that balance and I think that's something where it takes a lot of wisdom and maturity to figure out how to express an opinion without necessarily being in layman's terms, being a dick about it. Right. And I'm not, I'm not always good with that. I know that. Um, but you know, there's just a point where, again, it's, it's a maturity thing. And I I do see that in the way that you talk to people, um, and you are actually trying to meet them on their level. Um, it's that idea of accommodation, um, which Chris, you know, we could get into Augustine and that, Mm -hmm. um, but that is another conversation for another day. Well, you
1: already did when you were like, we're not defined by our passions. I was like, I don't know. You might disagree. Yeah, that's true. No, I I think Um, you're right.
2: You're right. You're not, we're not defined by our passions. We're defined (laughs) by how, honestly, we're defined by how we treat people. And that's really what we all, I think you and you, me and uh, David, Chris, we all just kind of try to treat people the way we want to be treated. I know it's, (laughs) I know bringing up the golden rule is sort of elementary, but. I mean, it's really what it's all about, right?
0: All right. So before we get into the plot summary of this film, um, we did run a poll. Uh, I really like doing these polls before each episode. It's fun. Um, I don't know if anything's ever going to top the whole, like, if you're on a desert island, who would you be stranded with? Because, I mean, Nick Adams. Like, why would you not want to be with him? Um, So this question was, since we all know of Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster, but the kaiju in this film is named Frankenstein. What should his name be henceforth? Um, I should have clarified for the episode. Um, so we had Frank, Prometheus. Um, that was actually my personal favorite. And then Michael suggested Bright Eyes, which you said was a Planet of the Apes reference, right? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Recyclops. So... Recyclops was winning for a while, and I was very excited about that. Um, but Frank did end up winning. So for the rest of the episode, uh, unless we are referencing the title, this uh, this person, I'm using that word very specifically here, um, will be referred to as Frank. So if well, you, oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I initially read that as Brightside, like Mr. Brightside. Because, you know, there's the part of the movie where he's coming out of his cage and he's doing just fine.
2: <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So, David, do you want to carry on this episode without Chris?
1: <laughs> I'm
0: about to get booted, so thanks for listening. <laughs> All right. but Yeah, if you could uh, do that plot summary for us, Michael, well, that would be great.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So it goes like this. Uh, when a strange heart from Nazi Germany ends up in the hands of the Japanese and is irradiated thanks to the bombing of Hiroshima, what result is not a giant radioactive dinosaur, but a character unlike anything we've seen in the Toho monster universe up to this point. Our protagonists, faced with the discovery of Frank, have to decide uh, to what lengths they will go to maintain their code of doctoral ethics. Will the continual growth prove to be a problem or can they keep him under control? And that's not even factoring in the fact that Baragon shows up just to add to the, con- the continually growing roster of Toho Kaiju. So, uh, set in a world with nuclear fallout, Frankenstein conquers the world asks a lot of questions, but do we have the answers? Or will it take diving a little bit deeper to find what we need?
0: Awesome. Thank you. So, staff will run through this, um, directed by Ishiro Honda. So, screenplay a uh, couple cooks in the kitchen this time uh, Ruben Berkovich, uh, Takeshi Kimura, and Jerry Sol. Uh, even more cooks in the, kiddish, uh, in the kitchen produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka, Ruben Berkovich, Henry Saperstein, and Samuel Arkoff. Um, Music is by Ikira Ifakube. Cinematography, uh, Hajimi Hoizumi. And then special effects, uh, Eiji Tsuburaya is the effects director. And then we see uh, Teruyoshi Nakano is his assistant director here. Um, Cast. So this is technically the first time we see Nick Adams in a film, um, well, a Toho film, so as Dr. James Bowen, um, but in the, the Japanese version. Uh, He is dubbed by Goro Naya. Uh, Kumi Mizuno plays uh, Tsuka Tagami. Tadao Takashima plays Dr. Uh, Kinichiro uh, Kawaji. And then uh, Yoshio Tsuchiya plays Daigo Kawai. Uh, Jun Tazaki is uh, Hideo uh, Nishi. He is the police department director. Uh, Takashi Shimura um, makes a quick cameo as the uh, army hospital doctor at... uh, you said Hiroshima. I always heard it as Hiroshima. So uh, either way, you know what we're talking about. Uh, Kenji Sahara is minor role, but he plays uh, Dr. Bone's assistant. Um, Sumio Nakao plays a uh, young Frank. And then Koji uh, Furuhata is the actual Frank monster. And then Haru Nakajima plays Baragon. So a little bit of context trivia here. So the first part here was taken from uh, Dave Collat's book, So I thought this was really interesting. Um, So, you know, the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima on uh, August 6th of 1945. The movie was released on August 8th of 1965. So almost 20 years to the date, and it deals with the event. So that was pretty timely there. Um, This would be the beginning of a very short stint of Honda and Kimura and Ifakube and Koizumi going on to do non-Godzilla films, whereas we see uh, Shinichi Sakazawa starts teaming up with Jun Fukuda, um, which, Chris, will you're going to see a very much different tone in these films moving Mm. forward. Um, So they kind of get them separated out here. So in 1960, uh, there was a film called The Human Vapor, and this was initially planned to be a sequel to that film, Uh, Being Frankenstein versus the human vapor, and then ended up changing to Frankenstein versus Godzilla. And then we ended up seeing the Frankenstein versus Baragon that we eventually got. Um, And then something I thought interesting because I love Dave Klatt's book, but I don't get where he got this reference from. So he seems to think that the boy that we know as Frank um, ate the heart and then became the monster, but there's no reference to that. So I don't know if maybe that's in the American version it says that, but what I thought was really interesting, and I haven't seen this elsewhere, was the idea that, you know, so what what really happened is, you know, you have the heart, and then the bomb gets dropped, and it becomes irradiated and becomes Frank, right? Mm -hmm. But what I thought was interesting is the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was called the little boy. So it's interesting that this type of bomb being dropped now when we see Frank for the first time is a little boy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was an intentional reference or not. Um, but I thought that was interesting.
2: It feels intentional. It it, it does. feels intentional.
0: But again, unless I see it, then I'm like, I don't know. Cause I mean, there's a lot of research obviously done on these films. So I'm I'm always like wary of being like, hey, I'm the first person to come up with something, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so going into the Ashiro Honda biography, so this would be uh Honda's first example, Nick Adams, excuse me, would be Honda's first example of an actor speaking in English being surrounded by Japanese speaking co-stars. So then obviously he was dubbed later on. But like I think it works really well here, you know, because you you have that emotion that he's able to convey and just, you know, even dubbing over, like, as much as I'm not a fan of dubs, like this film here and with Invasion of Astro Monster eventually, like I think it works incredibly well the way that they do it. Um, so with the original script talking about Frankenstein versus Godzilla, <laughs> so this was from Saperstein and the uh, the studio there. They had Godzilla being freed from an iceberg to fight Frankenstein's monster. Um, don't like that idea. I think that's kind of Ho-Drum, I mean, it just reminds me of King Kong versus Godzilla and just kind of why would you want to team up with Godzilla? Um, and then lastly, you know, this is the only film of Hondas to actually feature a reenactment of the bombs being dropped on Japan. Um, and that was a very interesting way to start the film. So mm-hmm. uh, did you have any trivia, Michael, that you wanted to add on there?
2: The only thing that I can think of is... <clears throat> There is a, there. I don't know. If, did you guys watch the alternate ending to this film? Have you been able to watch both? One? Okay. So the, uh, in the alternate not. ending after Frankenstein or I'm sorry, after Frank defeats Baragon, uh, the Odako, which is this giant octopus shows up and to fight Frank and drag him into the ocean, which sets us up for uh what is considered the sequel to this film war, of the gargantuous. And what was funny about that was it was cut from the, it was cut from the Japanese release and it was, mm-hmm. and you know, I think it was uh Saperstein that was the only one that wanted the octopus in there because he, th- he thought maybe it was, it would have some kind of appeal to American audiences. The um,
0: devil fish.
2: Yeah. The devilfish, fish. Um, and even that was too silly for Ishiro Honda. So he cut it completely out. And that's what we get uh, with the actual uh, full length production of the film.
0: Yeah. But then it it was accidentally aired in Japan with that. ending. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that's why it ends up being like the 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 international version, which I Mm -hmm. thought was intriguing. Which version did you watch, Chris? Like, what was the ending for you?
1: I have no recollection of this giant octopus. Okay, so (laughs) it was like Watchmen. He was cut.
0: (laughs) So it was just Frank and Frank, excuse me, Frank and Baragon falling into the volcano.
1: Yeah. 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 I guess I could see the Snyder cut with the octopus sometime soon.
0: God. <laughs> um, so that's what's funny to me is I've, I've watched the international cut a few times. Then I watched it again yesterday and I didn't select which version. And it played the theatrical with the ending with Barragon and Frank falling into the volcano. I'm like, yeah, I like that one more. So I thought it worked better. But so... Before we actually get into the themes and kind of what we're parsing out um, of this movie, so I, I asked a question. And this is something where I found that when I ask for like, hey, people should ask questions, comments, stuff like that, and you don't, I don't really get a lot of feedback there, right? And it kind of makes me think of my short stint as a youth pastor where I'm like, sometimes I have to ask guided questions to get results. You can't right. just be like, hey, does have anyone have any questions? Um, unless it's a White House press conference and then that's just a huge cluster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked the question, as we prepare to discuss Frankenstein Conquers the World, a question I have is, why does this film seemingly get passed over compared to other films? Ones that arguably are less meaningful and enjoyable. Is it solely because there is no Godzilla to be found? So I... Let's see. I mean, there's a crap ton of comments on here. I don't think we've had that much interaction on a post in a very long time. Um, but the general consensus was, A, availability. So for the longest time, people just didn't know it was a movie. Um, it looks like it was very uncommon to find it on VHS. Even less common on TV. Uh, I'm looking at Luke Giaconetti. His comment here um, so now you can find it on DVD it's about 30 bucks right um, that's how I got it mm-hmm. um, but then you see other people where you know like uh, compared to War of the Gargantuas um, you have people like Tim Byrne and Brad Pitt you know speaking very highly about it but you don't hear anyone say the same thing about this film um, again I think it just has to do with the way it was distributed um, but ultimately I think, uh, I mentioned Faye, um, on Twitter, it's Mulder six, four, three, two, nine, six, seven, four. Um, you know, you have a lack of familiar monsters, right? So not only you're adding Frank, but you're adding Baragon. So most people are like, wait, what? Um, but then you have Gargantu cast. This is what I thought out of all of this was really kind of hit the nail on the head is, I feel the character Frankenstein is so intrinsic to the universal hammer horror films that the idea of him as part of the kaiju genre can be seen as so alien to both kaiju and horror fans Mm. that it flies under the radar, right? So I I get that. I think, I mean, I had no interest really in watching this until I realized it was going to be on the podcast. And I'm like, eh, okay, I'll give it a shot. So, um... And I'll be honest, it's still probably not my favorite film. Um, it's a lot more enjoyable when I don't have a four year old asking questions every three minutes. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of side with where the biography landed, where there's a lot of interesting thoughts. I just don't feel like we get the answers. You mm-hmm. like, there's all these themes that are brought up, but they're not really resolved in a satisfying way that I've seen in other films, but I also think that's going to be partially the American meddling going on. Um, so, what about you guys? Like, what did you feel like overall? Um, we'll start with you, Chris. Like with this film, and do you feel like there was something that was effectively effectively conveyed, or like, how do you feel about this film compared to the others that we've watched?
1: Yeah, I I had this feeling that. So so just to go back to the last question, why does this one get passed over more? Mm-hmm. If I were watching these films kind of on my own, like not for the podcast, I feel like I might have missed this one anyway because it doesn't have the word Godzilla in the title. So, um, And when I heard it was Frankenstein, I was really confused because I was like, well, wait, that seems like straight. That's like someone I know from outside. So I, I would have thought of this as like a goofy like crossover movie, like the first version of the Avengers where a bunch of different companies were coming together. But kind of the feeling that I was left with from this movie was more like, is this the first of a couple? Because it did feel a little open. It felt like maybe later we were going to start addressing the mo- addressing the questions a little better. Mm-hmm. But then they fell in a volcano
0: and I was like, okay, I guess not. <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, What about you, Michael? I mean, what was it about this movie that made you want to be on this episode? Because I mean, as soon as we talked about having you on, you're like, I've got to be on this one.
2: Uh, Because it is so unique within the roster of Toho films. That's pro, and it stands out to me as just different from the pack. And I can see why at face value, someone new to the fandom or even someone who's been around for a few years who maybe hasn't dove super deep into the rest of the Toho catalog would be turned off by this because the title itself, Frankenstein versus Barragon, or Frankenstein Conquers the World, seems a little bit cheesy. And it's like, ah, I don't really want to watch that because it's mm-hmm. going to be stupid.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: like Chris said, if it doesn't have Godzilla in the title, a lot of there's a lot of fans out there that just won't touch it. Yeah. Uh, or if it doesn't have Mothra or some other more well-known Toho Kaiju in it, they're not going to want to sat down mm. for an hour and a half and watch this film. Uh, the reason I like it is just because it does come across as so different than what we've seen prior to this. Yeah. And,
1: well, it, it's... and go, Chris. even taking, like you said, the, the name of the film, if I had known it as Frankenstein versus Baragon, it would have been a more immediately like, duh, that's why it's in it. I don't know what a Baragon is, but it sounds like a, it sounds like one of them, but Frankenstein conquers the world just on its face kind of sounds like a Like, it misses what Frankenstein's story was about in the original novel. Mm -hmm. Like, he didn't seem to be a conqueror. It really, if you actually read it... Okay, I just sound like one of those guys by saying actually read it. But, like, when you read it, it's like... The monster is delivering a soliloquy for chapters upon chapters. And at one point, he's quoting quoting someone else. And it's not about conquering. It's not about scaring the bejesus out of people, but... So that even that might be a little off-putting if you're a universal horror fan. So mm-hmm. kind of on both sides of this from the horror side and the kaiju side. Even the title itself seems like ah, you, you probably don't want this one.
2: And there are definitely some horror elements in this film. So yeah, there are there are much. some uh things that maybe horror fans would enjoy. But there's not a ton. It's it's on its it it really essentially is just a giant monster movie.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, and Chris, what you're saying before, I mean, it's been years since I've read the actual novel. But yeah, it's a very interesting way to co-op the character, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, on paper, it's the same idea. You know, you're piecing parts, and it's... Is he really human? You know, stuff like that. Um, But ultimately, it's just... Yeah, when I hear Frankenstein Conquers the World, I'm thinking, like, it's a solo film, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just... Yeah, on paper, it, it wasn't a film I was in. This is coming from someone that's like, I was excited to watch Atragon. I was excited to watch Matongo, right? But then this one, mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, I saw War of the Gargantuas before this. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I think it's, a lot of people would enjoy it who probably don't think they would. Because I actually thought, you know, the the monster, like the fight between Frank and Barragon is some of the best of action-wise that we've seen so far. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a comment I had where, like, you know, Baragon's entrance I thought was incredible. It was very, it teased it quite a bit, but it was just very foreboding. The destruction was awesome. The actual fighting, the effects, I thought were great, you mm-hmm. know? So, like, I, in that regard, I think a lot of people are missing out that would normally like it. But you're right. I think just because Godzilla is not involved, they just look, like, "Well, why do I need to watch it?" I'm like, "Well, because, I mean, I may not enjoy it, but I do think it is a good movie." Right? Or let me rephrase that. I, I do enjoy it. I don't love it, but I still think it's a good film for the genre itself. If you're
2: already invested in this sort of this genre of film anyway, you're willing to overlook some campiness <laughs> and some weirdness. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. I don't I don't foresee if you're already deep if you're already shoulder deep into this genre, you're probably going to find something to like in this movie
1: i think that's absolutely true but maybe um <clears throat> for my sake really too what what about this gets it into the podcast we're not just a toku cast we're not just a tohu cast so um, that was hebrew not japanese toho podcast is <laughs> it i mean am i gonna see baragon a couple more times
0: yeah uh briefly one more time in this era of films. And then he has a very enjoyable role later in, uh, early two thousands. Um, but yeah, I just, the reason it's in here is just because I felt like if we were going to do, you know, the Toho, there, there, there are a couple of films I think I left out like space amoeba, <laughs> I just couldn't get myself to do that, and then you Gorath. Left out
2: space amoeba.
0: Yeah, I don't think I included that one. Oh no. Um, and then Gorath, I didn't include just because having a giant walrus for ten seconds doesn't really count as a kaiju film. Um, but yeah, it was Barragon's connection to this, and actually, these films later down the road will have somewhat of a continuity thing. You will understand that here in about five years when you get to that movie. Okay, um, great. <laughs> so it's interesting the way they play with that. But yeah, I mean, it was sure. very, There, there is a reason why this was included where others wouldn't be. Um, but obviously, I'm being kind of subjective because again, I included Matongo, but that was just still, still so highly rated for me. Um, sure. So yeah, time to dive deep a bit. Um, obviously, I could go on for hours, but so Michael, I mean, obviously, yes, it is a monster movie, but what did you get from this when you actually kind of made yourself look a little bit differently?
2: Well, the first and most obvious uh, thing that I that, that I noticed was Honda's direct correlation uh, or di- referencing Japan's direct involvement in World War II. Like you said in the notes, in the opening notes, we don't see that anywhere else. Like there it's nodded to, but it's no, it's nowhere near as blatant as it is in the first uh I think 10 minutes of this film where he says, Yes, Imperial Japan had absolutely uh had a very key involvement with the Nazis in World War II. And I thought that was uh jarring and interesting all at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh What I thought was interesting, though, so, like, obviously, he didn't shy away from it, right? I mean, we see a very militaristic Japan, but the relationship is strained, which I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of those things where the impression I got was, well, Germany is not doing too hot, but we're going to keep doing what we're going to do because we believe we're right, you know? Um, So it wasn't like we are pro-Nazis. It's just they were still very nationalistic and the thing with nationalism is you side with whoever is going to benefit you the most Mm -hmm. you know and you may not necessarily agree with all their ideologies right I don't know I'm not as savvy into World War II history as some might be but I can't imagine most of Japan despite being allied with Germany was supportive of the Shoah Right, and what was going on in those concentration camps? But if Germany and Japan could team together, so Japan could remain, you know, a powerful force within the world, then you're going to do what you're going to do to make that progress. Mm-hmm.
2: And Germany was on its last legs at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. This was obviously toward the end of the war, right before the bomb gets dropped, and Germany's desperate, and so is Japan, really, because I think um, it's in the Japanese it's in the Japanese dub that uh, when they bring the heart back to the laboratory, they say that this will help them win the war. If I'm Mm -hmm. remembering the subtitles correctly, it says that this will help them win the war because, and it's implied that they're going to use the heart to build an army of super soldiers to help them in their victory. Well, you know, the bomb gets dropped and the rest is history. Whereas in the English dub, uh, it just says, we're going to use this for medical research. And that's what's Mm. implied is medical research, not, to help them win a conflict.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I was like, I put in my notes, you know, the thought of creating soldiers that can never die. But I also wondered too, if it was just the implication of like being able to help people heal, right? I don't know if there's any way they could kind of enhance people. That wasn't really implied, but I kind of wondered about that too, is like, mm-hmm. it, could this be used to, because in my head, I'm like, I saw an interesting parallel with Dr. Sarazawa and Dr. You know well uh, Takashi Shimura's character here. Because on paper what he's saying isn't inherently wrong, right? I, I may not be pro-war, but if you could find a way to end a war with less casualties, I'm you know, I, I kind of would want to see I could see a benefit to that, right? So there there's ways that what they had here could be used ethically in the same way that the oxygen destroyer could be used ethically. But then, obviously, what happens to something that is not... These things, the oxygen destroyer, the Frankenstein's heart, they're not inherently good or evil. It's how you use it. So that's what I was kind of like, well, I wonder, you know, if if this was 1960s Japan and they had this, you know, could this be used to help work to end wars if it meant ending suffering or... You know, you have people who are suffering in life in general. Could you use this to help them heal? But then you kind of wonder at what cost, right? You know, Mm -hmm. death is a very natural thing. How long can you prolong it until you're sacrificing the quality of life?
2: Right. And the medical, I think the medical uh excuse me, the medical research side of it is enforced in the following scene where you see patients in the hospital and, and it's not really clear what they're suffering from. It's it's, I would assume that it's probably, uh, cancer.
1: See, that's interesting. Cause one of the things that I was going to bring up is, um, so you're talking about healing sick people. And since, you know, you two can be fluent in Godzilla, I'll bring in all the other franchises. Um, I, you know, I'm getting, I was getting serious, like Captain America vibes. Like, is this their super soldier? Is this the dude who's going to come in and wreck shop for them? And then instead you get the nuclear bomb wreck shot first. Yeah. And that's a real classy way to put it. Um, But I also kind of was thinking too, now that you're talking about healing, you've got amazing Spider-Man, the first one with uh, Andrew Garfield. And when Kurt Connors is trying to heal himself and he turns into the lizard, it's really easy to say that the lizard is obviously a monster, but um, I don't know if that is is as easy to say about Frank that Frank is automatically a monster, in the same non-human way that the lizard is.
0: Yeah, which I will be touching on here in a few minutes. <laughs> Ooh, sure. I'm
2: wondering though, uh, and I'll ask. I'll ask David first um, if Frank is not supposed to represent the Hibakusha, the people that sort of were shunned in early Japan because they were infected. And they had all kinds of skin diseases and things going on uh, health-wise. I'm wondering if Frank was not supposed to represent those folks uh, in this film.
0: Yeah, and I didn't see a lot about that. So that's kind of, I I get what you're saying. And I know um, I referenced that in a recent blog post I did about Honda and just his His message is the Honda, the Prophet and the Ghosts of War, um, which is on our website if you want to read or listen to that. But, yeah, I think there's an element there of, you know, Frank being the result of something he had no... He didn't choose to be that way, right? Mm -hmm. And he's he's in a society that doesn't seem to understand why he is the way he is. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, they see who he is but I mean to be honest like I I can't say I would be any different like would I take the time to empathize with him would I take the time to really try to understand what he's going through especially if he can't communicate it clearly right I'm thinking about like Mm -hmm. you know my two-month-old daughter where you know she's regressing in her feeding skills right now which is frustrating but she can't communicate that right I mean she's two months old so Am I taking the time to empathize with her and not get frustrated? So all that said, yeah, I think there is something here where, you know, there there is precedent throughout history of people who are physically um, maligned, you know, whether it's the the lepers in first century Palestine, um, or you're talking about here, and they, they are ostracized because of that. But rarely is it something that they themselves did, you know, mm-hmm. and... What does that say about society when we punish people for things that they didn't choose? Mhm. I'm well, I'm
2: I'm thinking about um I'm sorry Chris, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say it talk about scapegoating when Frank is blamed for all the problems popping up and we find out it's actually Bergon like you want to talk about scapegoating in World War II you've got um I mean, just the Jewish community entirely is scapegoated mm-hmm. as Germany's problems. Right, and in that, I mean, this movie—if you were Girardian—you'd have so much to get into with mimetic violence and that sort of alienation of the mm-hmm. people who seem to be causing your issues, whether or not they actually are. So,
0: yeah, and we—I mean—we saw that in America too. You know, you had Japanese Americans who wanted nothing to do with Imperial Japan, and they were the ones still put in the camps right because they were speaking. the ones here yeah. yeah yeah and you're right we're always looking to put blame and really you know the sins on to someone else without actually dealing with the implications of what is actually happening mm-hmm. right
2: and to bring it back to a more modern context i mean i don't bringing it back to like the the 911 tragedy you know mm-hmm. uh, People, Muslim Americans in this country, mm-hmm. were blamed for something they had nothing to do with overseas yeah. by by some radicals, and same and even more recently, the coronavirus. You know, Chinese mm-hmm. Americans being mm-hmm. blamed for what the Chinese government did. Uh, so, I mean, it 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 happens even today, and I think it's interesting uh, the point that you brought up, Chris, about just about scapegoating.
0: Yeah, and. And that's, that's the tough thing, too, is with all of this, I mean, you're you're talking about the coronavirus, and um, so many of us deal with incomplete information, right? Mm-hmm. So we can sit here and try to say, oh, well, this is what happened, this is what happened. You know, we have people who are, um, I have a lot of acquaintances, I don't want to necessarily say friends, who are espousing conspiracy theories, and I'm like, well, how do you even know? Like, I mean, you you barely even know your body works you barely even know like there's so many things that we have little to no knowledge about yet here we are because we read five minutes worth or watched a 40 minute video on youtube all of a sudden now we're experts right so uh, to me there's there's a awareness of of speaking about something that we don't have full knowledge about so again that's kind of how i with i take that back to what you're saying is this an analogy of that I don't know, because that's something I'm not super well versed in. But the point remains is that who Frank is does not meet societal standards. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he's punished. Right. And that that should not be the case because society and culture will always develop. It'll always change. You know, even within, you know, the context of the United States, what is now acceptable was not acceptable 20 years ago, you know, and there's a certain point where that's why there has to be some kind of standard that, you know, Mm -hmm. transcends, uh, culture. Um,
1: well, and if you even think about, um, and David, I appreciate your caution. And so I don't want to sound like I'm pushing that caution to a place where I'm going to speak definitively, Mm -hmm. but thinking of the original Frankenstein novel, or even like the X-Men, right? Like if the X-Men were, at, at one point coded as anti-racist messages, which turned into um, like if the X-Men stood at one point for people of other races, even though they're all white, mm-hmm. they could stand for the LGBT community, people um, who are suffering from AIDS, like as social outcasts who need to be brought in, like the whole point is being brought in. You could say that the movie does stand for these people, maybe yeah. from a retroactive read or even a death of the author postmodern read. Ooh. So, I mean, that's just some of the way the film works is speaking on many levels, whether or not the author wants to do that explicitly, or if we read that into it.
0: Or we could just say, screw postmodernism and say this is just a figural way of reading it, right? Yeah. Try to take a cause postmodern. now yeah. Anyway. um <laughs> But I think on that topic, this is kind of where I wanted to end the conversation. Um, Because to me, you know, I I feel like this is the most important message. Um, I will be bold enough to say that, um, is that this movie really gets into the conversation of what makes a human and what human Mm -hmm. worth is. Um, I mean, so here's kind of my, my concern with, I wish this film would do more with it and it doesn't. So this is where I've kind of had to read some stuff into it, um, which I mean, that's not new for us at all. Um, so here's the thing. So when we first find Frank, right, he's continually, you have a guy who's chasing him off because he ate his dog. Then you have a guy who hit him with a car, right. And just left for dead. So clearly right there, he doesn't have much value because he's not performing as society would want him to. um, Because that's kind of what I find as a common theme in this film is he's only treated according to what he can provide to society, not as a person. Mm. Initially, we see the exception being Tagami and Dr. Bowen, right? But that's strained the more powerful he becomes. He doesn't necessarily become violent, but he becomes powerful. So you have Dr. Kawaji. Um, He's initially insulted by the thought of Frank being sent to the zoo. He his quote is, he's a human being. He's precious. Right. But then he goes to Germany and meets Dr. Frankenstein and his tune changes because he realizes, well, he was just created. Right. He, mm. you know, he's just a product of scientific meddling. Therefore, the only benefit we have here is what could we what could we extract from him? Right. Um, so immediately, you know, we have a change in tune of a conversation where uh, he says, "Well, he's not a human being anyway." So Tagami goes, "Well, you refuse to let him be sent to a zoo by insisting he's a human, didn't you?" But he goes, "But just as gorillas aren't human beings, right now he's and she interjects. He's like, "No, he's a human being." So was Frankenstein. But he wasn't an ordinary human being. He was man made. But she goes, "Even so, a human being just the same." And Dr. Bowen interjects here. You know, let's think this over carefully. It'd be a terrible if we made a mistake. So right here, we're seeing that the definition of what a human is interchangeable. It's it's fluid, it's being changed again, according to what Frank can do for society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking here, you know, they, they try to say that um, you know, Dr. Bone eventually says, you know, he's no longer a boy, right? So Um, Because Tagami always, up till the end, refers to him as the boy. So he says he's no longer a boy. But then later, you know, he makes the appeal that, well, hopefully, you know, you don't kill him, but it's not our place to say whether he should be killed or not. But previously in the film, that was the whole thing, is the sanctity of life. He was a human being. He shouldn't be killed. Now they're Mm -hmm. saying, well, it's not our place to say he shouldn't be killed, right? And then, you know, towards the end, really the, where they all end up is, you know, like with Dr. Kawaji, he's, you know, he's determined that he is the Frankenstein because, you know, his hand comes off. So just because they have his hand now, he's resigned himself to the fact that it's okay to kill Frank because Mm -hmm. the implication is he has what they need. So, cause he says it right there, you know, he's right, but we have his hand. We can still continue our studies with it. So, my my concern with not the film itself but what it's trying to say is how do we determine the worth of a human life is it who they are is it what they can do for us is it what they provide to society is it their intellectual function you know because my my thought is you know the the heart existed without the radioactivity right Mm -hmm. so it was already a thing but Now, because he's affected by the radioactivity, does that mean he's now inhuman? So what does that say about the other people who have been affected by the radioactivity? So you're talking about, you know, the hibikusha. You're talking about these people in the medical gurneys. Are they now less human because of what has happened to them? Mm -hmm. And why is he treated as an animal when he clearly has cognitive skills? You know, he can... He perceives music... He's able to lay a trap. I mean, it's it's he's not a monster in the way that we typically view monsters. Um, I do have to be right back because I didn't realize my computer is about to die. It went down 80% this whole time. On, one second.
1: <sighs> well, I guess he doesn't need to be present for us to talk a little bit. Yeah, so, you can
0: say anything ridiculous here and I'll edit it out.
1: <laughs> well, I was actually going to say something. Yeah. Um, Based on that. And since I'm just curious the way that the perception of Frankenstein has shifted. So this was 65, right? Right. And then in 1993 or 92, I think you get the Sentai series Jew Ranger, where halfway through they fight Frankenstein as one of uh, which Pandora's monsters. And instead of highlighting what it means to be human, as the novel did, as even this movie does, You've got the Frankenstein monster from Jew ranger as like invulnerable. So every time they kill him, he comes back stronger, imbued by power of Satan himself. So I'm really curious to see what happens in Japan, maybe, or pop culture that shifts Frankenstein from asking questions about humanity to this idea of vulner invulnerability, where he's just invincible. Um, But what do do you think, Michael, there's any role of that invincibility in the movie? Like, does that play into the themes?
2: I think it does. It does some, but, uh, to David's point, it was, he's toward the end of the film. He, he does show his more human side. And before David, uh, had to jump off just for a second, I was going to say, I was going to tack on to what he said. And this movie has not to get too deep into the political weeds, but it has a very pro life message. If you want to think, uh, if you want to think of it from that perspective, because like David said, my, what, what constitutes a human life, really? Uh, and it, like, I, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to kind of weigh my words a little bit because I don't want to get too deep into it. But um, it doesn't matter how you get here, but you're here now. So I think you should. If, and you're a human. So why? Sh- so I think you should be treated accordingly. If that makes. I hope I'm. I hope I'm phrasing that right. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm trying to weigh my words really carefully there.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, if I can throw your caution to the wind, so I mean, the contemporary discussions would be like in vitro fertilization or mm -hmm. stuff like that, like surrogacy. I know that's been coming up recently. Yeah. Like, does the fact that his growth was spurned by Mm -hmm. nuclear radiation stand for in vitro fertilization? No. But are they kind of contemporary philosophies? Maybe.
0: Okay. And I I actually, that's kind of the stuff I want to get into. Um, But so what did I leave off saying? I can't remember. Me neither.
2: Um uh, shoot. Like what con- I think you ended with what constitutes be- what constitutes a human being.
0: Okay. So yeah, I mean, hopefully that makes sense cuz the thing is and this is like I said what kind of frustrates me about the film is you have the characters starting out treating him like he's human and then by the end they've resigned themselves to the fact that like, this is the most frustrating quote, is perhaps the best thing would be for him to die. After mm-hmm. all, he's only a monster. And this is after we've seen the way that Frank, even with Dr. Kwaji, like, he wants to try to salvage him for parts, and he still saves him, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's it's it's interesting. And I don't think, as we've seen in Honda's films, I don't think he's promoting that. But I do think it's just the truth of the matter is humans are fickle humans. It's its very hard to keep a consistent worldview. Um, right. We are very to and fro. We are blown by the winds of change, you know, all these things. And um, so before I get into like the theological implications of that, like, where do you guys kind of stand on, on all of that? Go ahead, Chris. <laughs>
1: well, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's very strange that the movie by the end says, okay. It's time for him to die. And I think um, it, it's just really curious because I can't get all, I can't get a, get away from this Marxian. Um, what product are you giving to society type mm-hmm. of look? What value are you adding by what you can do And order when, when they realize he can't do anything uh, or when they come to the realization in their minds that he can't add anything. It's time for him to go. Yeah. Cause it, like yeah, he's a couple stories tall, but that doesn't seem to be the only reason he's rejected.
2: Right. They, I think they, uh, they just kind of treat him as a, as just sort of a throwaway. When when he becomes, when it becomes inconvenient to keep Frank around, that's when they just want to throw him away. Mm-hmm. And we're shown toward the end of the film, I think it's uh, mid mid battle with Baragon, where he finds Kawaji, and you know he shows empathy for him. And basically saves him. So that's a very human characteristic. So there is a very human side to Frank, but still, yet yeah, they, they, it's more convenient just to throw him away and kill him than to find out like what untapped potential could we gain from him staying alive.
0: Mm-hmm. So here, here's kind of my, my thought with that is they make a make a comment about despite his age he's progressing as a child right so they're not even saying that he's not human it's just he's not able to communicate as clearly as he would but he's able to do things so mm-hmm, that's right. that's kind of my 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 issue with that is i think about how you know there's arguments regarding like euthanasia and stuff like that for people who are um I mean, I don't know the right terminology here, so I apologize. But what's commonly referred to as like Down syndrome, retarded, uh, disabled, stuff like that, where these people are considered as having lesser rights, where, you know, if you think your child's going to have Down syndrome, you abort the child, Um, stuff like that, right? Or, you know, without getting into the actual ethics of abortion itself, um, I know, you know, there's arguments for like late term abortion, but then I've had friends who have had preemie children who are 23 weeks old. And I'm like, well, they're very clearly a human being. So there's there's an element here where he didn't get to choose whether he wanted to die, and people were trying to make that choice for him. But it's clear that he, even if he did not fully understand, there was still, again, some cognitive happenings going on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe not up to speed as what society thinks it should be, Um, But again, this is where there's kind of a decision being made for someone that they're not able to make for themselves. Um, But the problem is what we're talking about with society is society always changes, right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be a standard. So my concern was what defines a human being? Mm -hmm. And as Christians, it's that we are made in the image of God. Now, in patristic theology, Chris... And <laughs> I've been reading a lot lately. So, um, so in patristic theology, you have the distinction between the image of God and the likeness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first couple of centuries, the argument was that you know the the, the likeness is more of like um, the ability to develop virtues. But in the book on well, it's a collection of homilies by uh, Saint Basil on the human condition. Um, you know, he's very clear to say that the image of God is not physical anatomy, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, put away from your heart unseemly fantasies, do not imagine a shape in regard to him nothing is with God as it is with us. So for Basil, the body is an instrument of the human being, an instrument of the soul, and the human being is principally the soul in itself. So for Basil and other patristic, so when I say patristic, it it's defined as church fathers. Um, some people feel like that's gender reductive, but unfortunately there just weren't a lot of female theologians at that time. So that we know uh, of, yes. I mean, you actually had, you know, like Macrina, the great, um, and stuff like that, but like, yes, the it's Desert just,
1: mothers. Mm-hmm. it's just who have we chosen to record and who did they choose to record?
0: Correct. Yeah. What have we found? Um, yep. so anyway, with, with patristic thought, you know, again, it's the idea of the, the image of God is this inner being, it's our soul. Um, For Basil, it was the ability to reason, right? Um, He also saw it as the ability to rule, not like lording over things, but being able to, you know, take care of animals or like, more importantly, how do we rule over our own passions? And we even see that with Frank, right? He's able eventually to learn how to make decisions that, you know, with, you know, Dr. Kwaja, he wants to harvest him for parts, but what does he do? He, he chooses to temper a passion and save him. So we see a volition there. Um, you know, other patristic theologians saw the image of God being self-determination, um, the ability to create, and again, the likeness was the ability to develop virtues. But I felt like the most succinct definition of the image of God um, and I I found this in uh, Alistair McGrath's book on uh, theology, is uh, Lactantius, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, So he wrote this in the 4th century in his Divine Institutions. Um, So he argued that being created in the image of God established the common identity and dignity of all human beings, leading directly to a series of political doctrines concerning human rights and responsibilities. So, And I quote, I have spoken about what is due to God. Now I shall speak about what is due to other people. Although what is due to people still equally relates to God, since humanity is the image of God. The strongest bond which unites us is humanity. Anyone who breaks it is a criminal and a parasite. Now it was from the one human being that God created us all so that we are all of the same blood, with the result that the greatest crime is to hate humanity or do them harm. That is why we are forbidden to develop or to encourage hatred. So if we are the work of the same God, what else are we but brothers and sisters? The bond which unites our souls is therefore stronger than that which unites our bodies. So again, we see intrinsically not a Gnosticism that the body doesn't matter, but ultimately that it's the soul that is our identity because you know let's say our our body is weakened right basil talks about that where our body will age and change, but we ourselves are still the same person we may mm-hmm. develop we may change, but our our soul our essence we are still who we are. so I look at Frank and I'm like he started out as a human heart he was irradiated, but he was still a human being that did not change his his just because he was not able to uh give to society just because he could not comprehend things the same way just because he was not able to you know there's a laundry list of things does not change the fact that he is still a human being he he is a product of very unfortunate circumstances but i think about i mean I was thinking about how with my daughter, if she was not able to make it as far as she did, um, they were going to hook her up to a machine. Like, if her ability to function in life would have been inhibited, does that mean she would be less human? And no, she would not. So that's, this movie, like, hit me really hard because I'm like, there's so many people in our lives, you know, we 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 find things that we say, well, this isn't human or whatever. But like, how do we define that? Apart from the fact that I believe it's you know we're we're made in the image of God, and it doesn't matter what we what we do, what we say, what we provide, what we're able to contribute. If we are made in the image of God, then we are human, and that should be enough. As you know, what the quote I just read, you know, to forbid us to develop or encourage hatred, and obviously we did not see that um, with this movie at all.
2: As badly as I want to. I cannot even top that. I can't even top that. <laughs> that last monologue you, you, you gave us, David, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> the best, the best way I know how to, the best thing I need to say now or best thing I know what to say now or whatever, um, is I'll start with Chris. Let's play the what if game just for a second. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of us okay. in the fandom love to play the what if game and, um, so if if a creature or a person like Frank showed up now, given our sort of our societal norms and things that we that our geopolitical stuff that's going on right now and how we operate, how do you feel mm-hmm. like he would be treated
1: from a safe feet of six or safe distance of six feet? I think <laughs> we would. Um, <laughs> no, I. There's probably. I, I'll, I can maybe speak more to the suburban American experience sure. where um, we don't want anything to disrupt our lives. Like the suburbs in a lot of senses, especially out here in the Chicagoland area, were born out of convenience and uh, escaping when things got difficult. Thinking of especially the white flight, how all the white communities started moving out this way away from the city. Mm-hmm. And we... You know, so I'm living in a space that was really built on the idea that we want to be in our own neighborhood. Right. So from a suburban point, I just can't see Frank as being accepted well at all. And I want to be like, well, he'd be used as a weapon. But I, I mean, I don't even know if that's true. I just think. I don't know what we would do about it, but I just I would think it'd be a massive inconvenience over anything else. And simply because he's inconvenient, that's when you just kind of boot him.
2: I'm wondering if maybe the some of the human rights activists would step in and on his behalf, um, and fight for his ability to survive, or his right to, or what they would consider his right to survive, or his right to. Oh thrive. sure.
1: Well, you've got Peta, you've got Peta fighting for the rights of Pokemon, so I could see. Ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. The only Peta I care about is Peta bread. <laughs> but um. Mm,
2: that does sound good
0: right oh when I make a pun anyway
2: <laughs> but David what do you think uh same question
0: I, I don't have faith in humanity I don't I, I'm not I'm <laughs> okay. not cynical but you know I'm thinking here as you're saying all that like I mean we used to consider black Americans as three three-fifths of a person right I mean sure. we don't really have a good track record of peating, treating people as humans, um, again, that's why I feel so strongly about the Christian faith because it, it's something more than just what we would perceive a person as. We have to choose to see them as the Creator, uh, not only sees them as He also created them. Um, mm-hmm. So I I I think we're, we would not see much different than what we're seeing in this film now and maybe I'm going to take a few steps back and say this movie is a little bit more effective than I thought it was going to be because I think we would see people starting out as, oh, well, you know, this person has this and this, therefore we're going to treat them as human. But of course, if they don't fit these parameters, Mm -hmm. if they start going outside of that box, then of course that's when we decide to shift the, shift our parameters on what we perceive Frank to be. So Mm -hmm. if he can no longer provide what we need, or if he no longer follows these guidelines, then he is no longer human. Um, yep. The Christian faith doesn't give us that option, right? Um, even right. serial killers, uh, we, we don't get to say they are not in the, uh, made in the image of God. Now, do they reflect that image? Um, the Orthodox Church talks about the idea of theosis, of the process of becoming as God, you know, and this, this, this change. That's another discussion in itself, but they are still made in the image of God.
1: The image is retained, but the likeness is lost.
0: Correct. Correct. Um, It's kind of, you know, this idea I'm trying to think of like, you know, this is probably not an effective analogy, but in my head I'm thinking of a light. You could cover up the light. The light doesn't change, but you may see less and less of it. Um, but again, you know, we, we live in a, we live in a world where we live in a society. We live in a society. (laughs) God. Um, but, you know, continually the idea of who is white changes, right? Because, you know, we, Jewish people were not considered to be as human as Mm -hmm. the rest of society. Now, in certain ways, that's kind of changed, but like, that's what I'm saying. That's, it's always in flux. So. I don't have a lot of hope that this would be handled any better than what we see in this movie. So again, I kind of take that step back and be like, maybe this is effectively having that conversation that I wanted it to. I just it kind of took processing all of this to see that.
1: Hmm. If only we had an hour a week to do that.
2: (laughs) I'm slowly shifting my position on even, um, this is probably a really terrible example, too. But my opinion on the death penalty, uh, what is considered a valuable life, uh, whereas years, years prior, I was very pro-death penalty. But these days, I don't know. I, mm. I really don't know. That's just something I'm uh, sort of still searching and, and, and chewing on for a little bit, mm. uh, because I, I know that I know with someone in my family who is in prison, their life does matter. And they're not just some throwaway human mm. that needs to be disposed of at some undisclosed time in the future. Um, so it's, and I think you're right, David, this film does cut a little bit deeper than even, I think we all three thought it would on its surface. It does seem silly. Um, and it's a very uh, anti-war message. It's a very anti uh, nuclear message, just like a lot of Honda's films. But The more we've talked about it there's other themes that are worth exploring like uh the idea of pro pro pro-life and and what is the value of a human life like we've talked about over the last
0: hour Mm -hmm. um regarding the death penalty i will make a quick comment um apart from the fact that the early church was very vehemently against it um i'm gonna leave a link on our website and in the show notes Um, about a relationship between someone sentenced to death, uh, Kelly uh, Gissendanner, I believe is how you pronounce her name, and her relationship with uh, a prominent theologian, uh, Jürgen Moltmann. Um, But that has been, even though I was pretty anti-death penalty for a while, um, that story right there is kind of what clinched it for me to reaffirm the value of all human life. Um, You know, I've been very clear that in my pro, pro-life stance, it's not a uh, anti-abortion stance. It's a pro-cradle-to-grave uh, um, belief. Um, I think if life matters um, in the beginning, it needs to matter in the end. Um, but that's another conversation in itself. So, um, does anyone have any random thoughts before we get into questions? And uh, I think, yeah, just questions. We didn't have any comments this time. Mm-mm. Let's do it. Okay. So, random thought, by the way. Um, if they ever redid this film, uh, The German Doctor in the Beginning, uh, I think needs to be played by David Harbour. He um, just reminded <laughs> me of that immensely. <laughs> now, why would they remake Russians this film? I don't know. But that was just like, oh man, that totally looks like Hopper. Okay.
1: We'll get that remake before we get King Kong vs. Godzilla. Anyway, first question.
0: I don't oh. know how you can never get that right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so first question we just have two this week um from pongo boy 96 on instagram uh what if Barragon won the fight my thing is depending on which version you watch i mean who really won nobody won exactly i feel so. like
2: nothing would nothing would change
0: yeah, no, uh, if Baragon actually did win, though, I mean, everyone would die because they wouldn't be able to stop him. So he'd just keep eating all the chickens and horses, and they would, uh, the livestock um, economy, I guess, so to speak, would plummet. Uh, Japan would spiral downwards, and it would just be complete, complete chaos. So, yeah, it would yeah. not be good.
2: And we would get the sequel, Baragon versus the giant octopus.
0: Anyone else have thoughts on that one? Okay. Um, Nathan Marchand, uh, he asked, do you think Frankenstein Conquers the World would have worked better or worse if it featured Godzilla instead of Barragon as originally scripted? Why? As I mentioned before, I just thought that idea was super lazy. It's, I mean, granted, I'm not against American filmmaking by any means, but, you know, it's uh, definitely the idea of just waking Godzilla up from an iceberg. I'm like, well, first of all, he's already been an iceberg to begin with. Um, like at what point do you feel like you have to wake Godzilla up to, d- I, yeah, I just, I'm that person that was like dual of the fates for episode nine. That sounds like it's good in theory. So for me to admit that and say this in theory doesn't sound good. I think that says a lot. <laughs>
1: I don't know. There might've been a little more of a tragic element to it. That two two beings, however you want to classify them, um, both created by nuclear fallout, have to now face each other. One as apparently directed by people, being mm-hmm. Godzilla, being freed to do this. There might be something about that, like nuclear, nuclear nuclear, cast-outs, nuclear victims being forced to fight one another. There could be something about that. But um, I would say that, yeah, it would be Godzilla for the sake of Godzilla. But, you know, I'm looking at another five years of these movies so it's not as if that's the biggest issue the franchise has to face
0: I guess I just don't yeah. have enough faith that the production company that wanted to add an octopus to the end of the movie would be able to handle that topic well oh yeah totally now if, if Honda came up with that I would be like or you know or just anyone else I might be like okay but the fact that that sure. kind of originated from there I'm like eh. what about you Michael
2: on name recognition alone, it would have put butts in seats. But I don't mm-hmm. think, I, I think really the substance, I think the substance of the film would have suffered if with the injection of, of Godzilla into the film, because it would have been in strictly name recognition. And honestly, I, I don't know if it would even help the Godzilla brand at all for him to face off against uh, Frank, and really who in that battle would be the protagonist and who would be the antagonist. Honestly, Frank would have been the protagonist and Godzilla would have been the antagonist because humanoid characters or kaiju seem to be more sympathetic than a giant mm-hmm. fire breathing lizard. So
1: yeah, it just as a rule, even if they're yeah. dicks, they're
0: still <laughs> even. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So, yeah, I mean, Michael, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, like I said, initially, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure how I would feel about this movie um, when you agreed to do it, just because I'd only watched it with my son. So, of course, he's, what's this? What's this? Um, but this ended up being uh, a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, jumping on. Is there anywhere that people can reach out to you on the social medias?
2: Sure. You can find me at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. That's where I'm hanging out most of the time Uh, on the Twitters at the Kaiju Groupie 54 and on Instagram at the Kaiju Groupie. I'm also a co-host for the Kaiju Weekly podcast with our good friend, Travis Alexander. Uh, We publish episodes every Wednesday and we cover all things Kaiju and tokusatsu from intermediate level to and we like to focus mainly on introducing folks who aren't necessarily familiar with Kaiju in the genre uh, to these films.
0: So, yeah. So, yeah, thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. If you like what you heard, have a comment you'd like to share, or even if you disagreed with us, make sure to let us know on our Twitter or Instagram pages. Our handle for both is Kaiju Apostle Pod, or you can email us at contact at the kaijuapostle.com. You can also follow Chris and all of his tweets about Star Wars on Twitter at Chris W E R M S. Um, I don't use my personal account that I just made, so I won't bother with that. So lastly, since there are a lot of Godzilla podcasts out there these days, it would mean the world to us. If you do enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review over on iTunes to help us get higher on the charts so more people can find out about us. Uh, Until next time, since we have not come up with our own catchphrase yet, try Try to to stay." stay. Right oh,
1: Oh, leave that in there. <laughs>